0: You set the stage a little bit so people understand what happened. In
1: 1969, 14 black student-athletes were kicked off their university's American football team for planning a show of support against racism.
2: We were really protesting our treatment
1: on the field. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. We became brothers that day when he did that to us. We made a change. Fighting for what we deserve. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
2: This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Decades before Moonlight, Black Panther, or anything from Spike Lee, Black filmmakers were telling African-American stories without money or fanfare, but with honesty and love. Now you can find the best of these movies in the Black Film Archive, thanks to its creator, Maya Cade.
3: We are not a monolith. Blackness is not a monolith. I think... There's so many ways that we've been represented across time.
2: The Black Film Archive, coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. It's the holiday season and it's cuffing season. That means it's time when lots of us are huddled on couches with friends, family, and people we love and people we want to love us. And we're watching movies. Many black film lovers see this as a golden age for African American creators, with plenty of blockbusters, indies, and even horror stories to choose from. But our guest says that there are hundreds of great black films from the past waiting to be rediscovered. Movies like *Anna Lucasta*, a 1958 drama starring Eartha Kitt and Sammy Davis Jr. as star-crossed lovers.
0: Here's a clip. You don't belong to one man, baby. You'll never belong to one man. You can't. Yes, I can. I know I can. Damn you. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to scare me. I'm trying to save you a lot of grief, baby. You and me, we're real people, Anna. We're the real stuff. Many of the time we set the earth on fire, you stick with me, we'll burn it up. The woman who's bringing
2: this and many other black movies new attention is Maya Cade. She's the creator of the Black Film Archive, a collection of African-American movies from 1915 to 1979. She's also an audience development specialist for the Criterion Collection. And Maya Cade joins us now. Welcome to a word.
3: Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
2: What inspired you to start this project? Like, what was the thing? Did you wake up one day? Did a bat fly through a window and you were inspired? What made you want to do this project?
3: Oh, my gosh. Well, this all started in the summer of protests, like many things did and I kind of was just asking myself what sustains me what brings me joy and all those kind of questions we were all asking ourselves. I think in that summer there were all these conversations about black film is this black film is that and it was very like black film could exist on a binary and I just knew that there was so much that I had to personally share about what black film is and how expansive it really is. So I just knew that I had to do something. So it started as a Twitter thread and it's kind of, you know, grown to this. I knew that I couldn't just keep it as a listing of films. I think anyone can list films. I think what makes Black Film Archive special and what I've like taken the time to do is the descriptions on the site just say, you know, what can I, what does the black person need to take away from this to, to start watching it? And that's my intentionality, which I think is It's quite cool.
2: What was really interesting to me is, so your archive runs from 1915 to 1979. Why did you pick that particular block of time? What was the reason for those being your bookends?
3: Sure, 1915 is because it's the earliest streaming film currently. If there are older films that are available, that will certainly change. I think what's more interesting is 1979. As I was building this, 1979 just felt like a natural stopping point. When The Wiz came out in 1978, and it was considered a financial failure, Hollywood stopped investing in Black cinema. So because of that, the 80s ushered in you know, a Black independent cinema boom that just felt like it was its own thing that wasn't right for this initial rollout.
2: What's a movie in your collection that surprised you? Either it surprised you that like, oh, my God, I can't believe somebody has this streaming or it surprised you because it was like, I don't know, Danny Glover's student film or something else like that. Like, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give an example, just sort of my own perspective. Like there's a movie, you know, in my classes at Morgan State, I was teaching a, a black comic book superheroes and pop culture class and I found the first black superhero form. And it was this film called uh, A-Bar, The First Black Superman. And it came out in 1979. And it was about, it's just this whole really interesting story about a Black Panther who takes a magical formula that more or less allows him to beat up white gangsters. And, and I didn't know a movie like that existed, right? You know, I thought the first black films were like Leonard Part Six and Hancock and stuff like that. What, what movie like that did you find? What was the thing that you found that you're like, I cannot believe that this is out there or I can't believe this was ever made?
3: So, there are a lot of films that I saw for the first time in building this. And okay, Fronta Woods <laughs> made Killing Time, and it's this film, it's a dark comedy about a woman who cannot decide what she's going to wear while she's looking to commit suicide.
4: Last read book, Fasting as a Way of Life. Oh, that,
3: that looks really nice. Dear God. I'm really sorry. It's not your fault. But I feel like my life is a joke without a punchline. I just can't keep up. And it just goes through... Wow. Yes, it goes through like... existential existential Crisis unfolds and this eight minutes to short. And it just is so good.
2: Where is Killing Time? I've never even heard of it. What year did it come out and what streaming service is it available on?
3: It's from 1979. It's on Ovid. Ovid is a a smaller streamer but it has an interesting collection of films and killing time is paired with fronza woods woods's other film (laughs) um which is called fanny's film and they're paired together but both phenomenal um her only films unfortunately but available to see right now
2: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on the Black Film Archive. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank
0: you. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money If you're a decision maker, adding ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R A M P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. terms and conditions apply.
2: You're listening to a word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about the Black Film Archive with its creator, Maya Cade. So A lot of people say this current moment is a golden age for black film and creators. But you've said that today's black films don't necessarily speak to you. What do you mean by they don't speak to you? And more importantly, what do you mean by today's black films? Because, you know, I don't know when people would necessarily define when this current era began. I'd say this is this is obviously a different era than, say, Love Jones uh, or The Wood or or any of those movies from the late '90s, but I don't know. I, I don't know when this current era, when you would say it began, and why does it doesn't speak to you?
3: I don't think that today's cinema doesn't black cinema doesn't speak to me. I think what is true is that conversations about today's cinema are flat. I think the you know the topic of the moment is you know everyone's saying that today's black films are all traumatic or they're all this. I am not one to dismiss a whole uh, canon, if you will, of films because of, you know, it's X, it's Y. I think to me, what I know to be true is that when we have a deeper relationship with our past, our future becomes brighter, better, more engaged. Like. I think, not to say that today's filmmakers do not have a relationship with the past, but I think even in general conversation about films, when people are like, there's never been this, there's never been that, it's, it's often not true. The second part of your question, how I would define today's cinema, where does that kind of start? I think outside the 10s. And on is a good place to start. I think there's some highlights. I mean, there's triumphs. I think every film's a miracle, especially when it's by a Black creator. The Inheritance from last year, an incredible film. There, there are many films that I am such a fan of. But what I also, like I said, what I know to be true, is that there's just knowledge that has kind of felt like it's gone missing. When like these films have been available, I think... The amount of letters that I've gotten, oh my God, like I didn't know <laughs> that this existed. That's like what I'm doing it for. But no, I do not dismiss today's filmmakers, today's films. I just have such a strong relationship to the past. That's that's
2: all I'm saying. I think because of social media, what we have is a lot more voices that can talk about film under the guise of being commentary people or critics or just loudmouths out there who don't necessarily have a real knowledge of film history. And so, you know, people will say, oh, my gosh, we've never done this or that. It's like, dude, you've never watched a film from 1974. Like, does that make more sense? Because that's how I see it. People don't know enough about their uh, about black cinematic history to complain as much as they do about what's being offered today.
3: You know, and I don't ever want to blame the individual. Right. I think there's a lot of reasons this is true. I think, you know, the same six films are programs, right. Or not six, but like, it's, it's like, there's a rotation of, of how blackness is represented. And I think for me, the media doesn't dictate how I see myself. Like I think I'm always trying to learn as much as I can. And with black film archive, I want to give people that opportunity as well. Like I, have the resources to learn a lot. I am just a person who's deeply curious about so many things and I want to like fuel people's curiosity. We are not a monolith. Blackness is not a monolith. I think there's so many ways that we've been represented across time. Some of them with white influence, some of them not. They're all gathered here, right? I think there is a film for everyone (laughs) in the past And there will be a film for everyone in the future. These are things I know to be true, but I I do hope that people take that moment to really engage with the past. And I don't wanna blame people (laughs) for not having that.
2: You mentioned the sort of idea of some public discourse about trauma and connections to trauma. And I think the sort of resistance on the part of some black people to seeing our trauma on screen is less about them being bothered with trauma itself and more about them having been trained by other movies to believe that movies always have to be about triumph. But what what do you think of that theory?
3: I always think of the song Joy and Pain and how it exemplifies that joy and pain have to exist together. And when you talk about the full spectrum of what Blackness is and can be, trauma lives there. Why wouldn't it? But it's not the only thing. And, and even when, like, for example, someone brought up Boys in the Hood to me and they're like, oh, that's a traumatic film. But I'm just like, the people in this film are so deeply and fiercely loved. To me, That's not how I'm registering trauma. I, I just think that when we, we call something one thing, We minimize all the other things it is. I just think that there are ways that we can engage with what blackness is and not have that dictated to us, which is really where that conversation begins and ends, right? Because there are, even present day, you think about Sylvie's Love and they're just films that are touching, they're tender, they're loving. And I think those get so minimized when we say, oh, everything that's released right now is traumatic.
2: So I I want to also get into this idea of how you defined a black film, because I will tell you as a consumer, there's plenty of stuff that I see. I'm like, this ain't made for black people. There may be a black person on screen. It may be ostensibly a black story. But this is really for white folks, about white folks, and about white people's perceptions of things. So when you're putting together an archive, how did you set the parameters for a black film? What did it have to have? What was your sort of racial bet-tell test to say, all right, this is a Black movie and this ain't a Black movie?
3: For this first iteration, I really wanted to make sure that these films collected have something significant to say about the Black experience. So those are films that, you know, may or may not speak to a Black audience. Okay. And, you know, ha- but they have a Black star. They may have a Black writer, producer, director. If I say that every film from the past has to be directed by, you know, a Black person because of the way Hollywood works. (laughs) It's such a small spectrum of what films are. But what I also have made clear is that these films are in conversation with each other. And my intentionality is to really go there, right? Like, let's talk about, you know, the race films of the 40s, ones that were directed by, say, Spencer Williams, and one that was directed by a white director. What are the the comparisons? What are the differences? Like, I don't want to be afraid of hard conversations. I think what exists at BlackFilmArchive.com right now is the template for those conversations, right? Like, I think there are some tough portrayals of Blackness in the past. The criteria really is... Films that have something significant to say about the Black experience. So, that, so that's everything, including Imitation of Life from 1959 to um, Cabin in the Sky to The ways which I, of course I keep coming back to because it's my favorite, um, <laughs> and Oscar Michaud's films. There's, it's Everything is there. And I think it should be. I think if I'm creating an exhaustive list, an exhaustive registry of Blackness on screen, those are naturally in conversation with each other. And we shouldn't be afraid. Or I would say necessarily dismiss something because a white director made this uh, perception of blackness, which sounds like a contradiction, but I think of films like Uptight, and that has a white director, but it was co-written by Ruby D. And it's one of the most revolutionary Hollywood studio films. And the film takes place immediately after the assassination of MLK,
0: Jeanie, the nonviolent program is dead. Killed by white violence April 4th, 1968, in Memphis. The man who died was murdered. As were four little girls in the Sunday schoolhouse. As was Medgar
1: Evers. And after him, 47 others. How many of their killers went to jail? Nobody. That's over! We got to make them know that every time they even think of picking up a gun against a black man, there's a black gun waiting for them.
3: And I think of films like that, and I think we do ourselves a disservice when we just look at a list of who's in something or, you know, <laughs> you know, we just say, okay, I can't watch this because of this. Like, that's why it was so important for me to write the description of every film on the site, to give you that Why should I watch this? What does this do for me? You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) I hear you, though. I think it's it's hard. There have been a lot of representations of blackness across time. Not all of them are pretty, not all of them are sexy, not all of them are fun. But that there is value in understanding that.
2: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on the Black Film Archive with Maya Cade. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned.
0: Can you set the stage a little bit so people understand what happened? In
1: 1969, 14 Black student-athletes were kicked off their university's American football team for planning a show of support against racism.
2: We were really protesting our treatment
1: on the field. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. We became brothers that day when he did that to us. We made a change. Fighting
2: for what we deserve.
1: Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
2: You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the Black Film Archive with Maya Cade. So, what is something that you noticed Throughout going through these archives, that is something that a casual film viewer like me could see across black film that could help transform me into a film lover? What's something that you noticed that was like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, this this casual person who's going through this archive, this could transform them. What's a theme or something that you saw, even if it's a cinematic style?
3: If I could give you just the one film that I think that you really need to see, Killer of Sheep from 1978. It's directed by Charles Burnett, a black man.
0: You let anyone jump on your brother
2: again and you just stand and watch. Boy, I'll beat you to death. I don't care who started what or whether he was winning or losing. Well, you get a stick or oh, a oh, 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 goddamn brick get anything, and you knock the shit out of whoever's fighting your brother. Because if anything was to happen to me or your mother, you ain't got nobody except your brother. And this goes for him, too. Killer
3: sheep is just a masterwork that is an extraordinary display of tenderness, heartache, you know, pain, joy, it it just has everything. And it's about a, a man and his day-to-day life, but it's also about so much more. And you know when people say, describe films that way and you're like, oh no, like they're, they're over talking this. I, I, I'm very serious. Okay. <laughs> it okay. takes the micro and the macro and just brings it all together so beautifully and with so much love. And Charles Burnett is one of the greatest directors living.
2: want to make sure I understand this at the end. So you, you know, you have a day job, uh, you work at the Criterion Collection, but you're also talking about expanding the archive. And so for everybody who's been, you know, pausing the podcast, writing down the names of movies that you've mentioned and, and checking out your site, what's the next step for you in this process? And people who like what they're hearing right now, who like this conversation, who like the Black Film Archive, what can they do to support you heading forward?
3: I think support, you know, so often we think about monetary support, which, yes, is lovely, right? But I think support for me that's really essential is just sharing it, just engaging with these films, just having a discussion with someone in your community about Black film. That's support to me. Like, that, that would make my world. Subscribing to the Substack that I have, which... Is where those conversations about you know I really want to talk about black trauma and not dismiss people's ideas of what black film is or can be but just deepen that kind of understanding I'm overwhelmed by the level of support that people have given me I, I mean this is something that I've been working on as like in my free time for over a year and the fact that you know I've gotten the kindest notes. I'm just so thankful. I cannot say that enough. I am so, so thankful. And I think to answer your the first part of your question, what is next? So if my intentionality with launching Black Film Archive was to, you know, have an exhaustive list of where Black films before in 1980 are streaming, what's next is building on that. I'm adding context to all those deeper context. So, you know, when you go to the seventies, I want to tell you exactly what happened in 1970s in black cinema. When you go to black exploitation, I don't want people to feel like, Oh, I don't know what defines black exploitation. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to really deepen the site. And that's, that's the immediate what's next. I, I haven't talked about it, but because it's an evolving archive, I am planning a second iteration of it. It's like something to add on, um, so I'm working on that as well. But the future is really bright and I, I really care about Black people and everything I do is for Black people. So if this is my way of doing it, well, that, that's really joyful to me.
2: <laughs> my Kate is the creator of the Black Film Archive. Thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you so much. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is word at Slate.com. This episode was produced by Jasmine Ellis. Asha Saluja is the managing producer of Podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week forward.